Hello and welcome to Byline Radio. This is What the Papers Don't Say with me, Adrian Goldberg. Today, the worldwide war on women. Wherever you look, whether it's in the United States, Afghanistan or here in the UK, hard-won freedoms are under attack as never before. In the States, the 1973 Supreme Court decision known as Roe versus Wade that established the constitutional right to abortion is widely expected to be overturned or at the very least restricted in the next few months. A new law introduced in Texas last September already empowers private citizens to sue anyone who helps a termination after six weeks of pregnancy. Other states, including Idaho, are now following suit. In Afghanistan, the long-promised return of girls to education has been delayed by the Taliban yet again. And here in the UK, Byline Times has revealed that a Conservative MP is being paid more than £22,000 a year to work part-time for a religious organisation which campaigns against abortion and LGBT rights. With us today, Sean Norris, the Chief Social and European Affairs Reporter for Byline Times, and Malahat Mohamedzai, a recent arrival in the UK from Afghanistan, where she worked to improve women's rights. Uh, Hiya, Sean, you OK? I'm good. How are you? It's so sunny and nice. It's so sunny and nice, but that introduction makes it all sound very uh, handmaid's tale, doesn't it? It does, rather. I mean, it's a bleak time. It's a really concerning time. And I'm really glad that we can have this conversation that looks at, you know, how the war on women is impacting women and girls, both in the West and in Afghanistan and all over the world, because this seems to be a global issue that doesn't seem to be getting any better. Well, we will be joined uh, shortly by Malahat. I know that she's listening. She just has to uh, tap the microphone in the left-hand corner of her screen to join us. And we'll speak to Malahat, who's got direct experience, recent experience as well, of life in Afghanistan. Before we do all that, though, just a reminder that Byline Radio comes from the Byline Times and we are funded by ordinary people like you. There is no corporate backer. There is no proprietor behind us pulling our strings. So to support us, please take out a subscription to Byline Times. You get a great monthly newspaper and your subscription will also be helping you support Byline TV, which is live tonight on Friday night at 8 via YouTube. Plus, you'll be supporting the Byline Times podcast, where you might be enjoying this show on Listen Again, Byline Radio, and our news-breaking website, bylinetimes.com. And that's where you'll find details of how to subscribe. That is at bylinetimes.com. And we'd also welcome your con- contributions as well, wherever you're listening uh, to this broadcast uh, around the world. Please feel free to join in. If you're listening on your phone, there will be a little microphone icon in the bottom left of your screen and we're interested in taking your contributions around all of these issues really but they are all interlinked the question of Roe versus Wade the question of women's rights and women's education in Afghanistan and Sean's story as well for the byline time so Sean do you want to talk us through that one because people may well be familiar with Roe versus Wade we've heard a fair bit in mainstream media this week though perhaps not enough about the disappearance or the the non-appearance of girls' education in Taliban. But you also discovered, and you've written this up at bylinetimes.com, the connection between a Conservative MP and this rather curious religious organisation in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I just need to be clear that this was a joint investigation between me and Sam Bright, who's our investigations editor. So full credit to Sam for for finding the story and, and we worked on it together. So 
what we've um, found was Sam was looking through the register of members' interests, which is the list of all the kind of MPs' second jobs, MPs' income from different sources, for example, if they've been paid to go on a TV show or they've been paid to go to a conference. And he found that Conservative MP Raman Chishti has recently taken up a position for £22,400 a year to work part-time for a religious freedom pressure group in the US. And this group is called the Religious Freedom Institute, and they're based in Washington, D.C., So on the one hand, what's really interesting about this story is it comes as second jobs for MPs have been back in the news. You may remember that um, towards the end of last year, there was quite a lot of noise around second jobs for MPs and the fact that a lot of um, MPs were taking on these external roles for quite a lot of money, um, you know, doing quite a lot of hours on these external roles and questions about whether that was going to influence their um, approach to politics or also just mean that they weren't able to do the sort of full time role of an MP. And this week it was announced that um, changes to the rules on second jobs are probably not going to go ahead, despite all the controversy that we saw about them last year. So this story is interesting from that perspective. You know, this is about um, an MP taking on a very well paid second job with an organisation outside of his kind of work as an MP. Um, But it's also interesting because it's one of many examples of um, conservative MPs working with uh, organisations that have either links to anti-abortion groups or have anti-abortion views themselves. So the um, Religious Freedom Institute, as I say, it's a US organisation and they focus on religious freedom, you know, and that has a whole range of um, meanings. You know, they work with people who are persecuted around the world for their religious beliefs. And that's really vital work that needs to take place. But they're also very critical of abortion rights and particularly on campaigning for conscience clauses that allow for medical professionals to refuse to give abortion care. And um, they were very critical of Joe Biden repealing the global gag rule. So for those of you who don't know, the global gag rule banned uh, federal funds from the US being used by NGOs around the world who offer abortion care, even though the funds would not be used for abortion care itself. If you were an NGO and you gave out a leaflet that mentioned the word abortion to someone who came to your centre, you would not be entitled to these funds. And it's a kind of a ping pong piece of legislation. Reagan introduced it in the 80s. And then um, Clinton repealed it in the 90s and then George Bush Jr. brought it back in the noughties and then Obama repealed it and then Trump brought it back in and then Biden repealed it. So, you know, it's great to know that women's rights are used as a kind of political football in America in this way. So that's kind of the RFI and their views um, around abortion. But what we also wanted to look into was some of their associates. So we found that alongside um, Chairman himself, There are senior fellows at this institute who work with Alliance Defending Freedom. This is a religious rights giant in the US that has been accused of being a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Centre. Although I should mention that ADF denies that this is the case. They deny the designation of hate group. They also work with someone who's um, linked to the Federalist Society. Now, the Federalist Society's leader, Leonard Leo, has a dubious reputation of being the person most dedicated to the enterprise of building a Supreme Court that will overturn Roe versus Wade. And there's another fellow who's linked to the One of Us Federation of Pro-Life Groups, which, again, is a sort of anti-abortion, anti-LGBT initiative in Europe. And anyone who's listened to me bang on about this in the past will know that One of Us is linked to Citizen Go um, and the Agenda Europe Network, which have been campaigning against abortion and LGBTIQ rights across the region for a long time now. 
So all in all, we were kind of seeing these very, like lots and lots of different organisations linked to the RFI, which is now linked to the UK Conservative Party, Free Chishti. But as I said, he's not the only Conservative MP with anti-abortion links. So Let, let me just hold you there, Sean. Yeah. I'm happy to explore that. And, you know, that's the joy of Twitter spaces, that we can do that with without uh, too many interruptions. But so Raymond Chisty himself is getting paid then the equivalent of more than £22,000 a year by this group, the RFI, which, as you say, is very closely linked with the anti-abortion movement in the United States, which in itself is something we'll discuss a little bit later on in this broadcast. But do we know what he does for that money? Because as you've described it, they're a a pretty broad-ranging organisation, even though these issues and this agenda clearly is central to what they do. Yeah, so he's got this position called, um, as an, let me get this right, I think it's Associate Scholar. Let me just find the link. (laughs) So prepared as ever. (laughs) Um, So he's a Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom Policy at the Centre. And so really, he's kind of, he's got legal expertise. He's he's worked a lot for different sort of religious freedom organisations. You know, he was a special envoy on this issue um, for a long, for between September 29 or 2020. So he's kind of part of this sort of group of 24 researchers, really, scholars who are going to be sort of looking into these issues and I imagine kind of writing reports, you know, kind of raising awareness of what's going on around religious freedom. Okay, so that's what we think he'll be doing. I mean, he was uh, a former envoy on, a special envoy, wasn't he, on mm. freedom of religion or belief. For the government. So this is clearly something that is close to his heart. And, you know, that's an, an entirely reasonable uh, position and uh, maybe, maybe Absolutely. a commendable position. But, Absolutely. But, but to take money from this group is more than simply standing up for religious belief, isn't it? These are people who proselytise, who advocate, who use their religion to take a political stance in the world. Yeah, so I think, you know, there's absolutely a need for people to be promoting, um, you know, and to be promoting fairness around issues in religion. You know, there's lots of people around the world who are persecuted for their religious beliefs. I mean, I think Chishti has been very vocal on the Asha Bibi case in in, in Pakistan. You know, this is where a woman has been persecuted for her Christian beliefs, and we absolutely need to be standing up in those situations. I think um, one of the really concerning issues that goes beyond abortion is that the Religious Freedom Institute has been accused of um, arguing against extending anti-discrimination legislation for LGBTIQ people. And they're doing this because they argue that many religions um, don't tolerate what they call non-traditional sexualities and relationships. Um, And they've accused the LGBTIQ community of having a profound intolerance of orthodox religious faith and its traditionalist views of human sexuality. So I think it's one of those um, really clear examples of where an organisation is sort of promoting this clash of rights. You know, women have a right to abortion. Women and girls have a right to reproductive health care. Everyone has a right to their to express their sexuality in a consensual and mutually respectful way. That shouldn't have to infringe on someone else's religious beliefs. And I think when we kind of have these arguments about, you know, um, these con- religious freedom compared to the freedom to love the person that you love or the freedom to have bodily autonomy, you know, there doesn't have to be a clash. We should be able to 
have both things happen. And I, I'm kind of concerned when I read these or, this organisation saying these comments about LGBTIQ people and these kind of comments that would allow doctors not to perform abortion when abortion is healthcare, abortion isn't a moral issue. And you talked about a, a broader group of Conservative MPs who are associated with the anti-abortion movement. Yeah, so there's quite a few Conservative MPs who have um, sort of involvement with anti-abortion groups in the UK and in the US. So most recently, um, Liam Fox, Dr. Liam Fox, went and spoke at um, the Heritage Foundation's Awakening Conference. Now, the Heritage Foundation has a kind of history of anti-abortion statements and, again, anti-LGBTIQ statements. And he was paid um, £14,990 expenses to go to this conference where he spoke next to um, alongside Mike Pence. So Mike Pence was Trump's former VP. Um, they were both uh, speakers at this event. And Mike Pence has obviously spearheaded the kind of anti-abortion movement in, in US politics over the last few years. Um, we also had a Conservative Party chair, Oliver Dowden, recently gave a speech at the Heritage Foundation about freedom of speech and justice. And I always come back to this issue. It's like, who is freedom of speech for if you're working with organisations who believe women should not have the freedom to have abortions? Then we come back to AM Alliance Defending Freedom, who I mentioned earlier. This is like a designated hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Centre. Um, and the Conservative MP Fiona Bruce spoke at, at one of their events in 2019. Uh, Fiona Bruce is also the chair of the Pro-Life All-Party Parliamentary Group, which is um, linked to the organisation Right to Life UK. And I think what's really interesting, again, about these links with ADF is, you know, this is a known this is an organisation that has been accused of being a hate group. Now, do we really want our MPs working with organisations that have that designation, whether, you know, as I said, ADF disputes the designation? Um, you know, ADF is work, International is working to um, prevent buffer zones from being brought in around abortion clinics. Um, they've been a hugely influential in the sort of laws in the US in terms of trying to overturn right to access to abortion. And Bruce herself has um, put forward multiple bills trying to restrict the right to abortion in the UK, um, including sex selective abortion and abortion in cases of specific fetal anomalies. So, you know, it's kind of concerning again that we're seeing these. Um, um, UK MPs work with sort of anti-abortion giants in the US. To Don't we, yeah, uh, Sean, we'll come back to you uh, in a short while and we'll talk about Roe versus Wade, which mm -hmm. was the landmark US Supreme Court ruling, which is now coming under severe pressure and is likely to be retracted or partially retracted later this year. Just a reminder as well, though, if you are listening, wherever you are in the world, by all means, feel free to join in. If you're listening live, on Byline Radio. If you do want to join in, though, you have to be on your phone. I'm afraid if you're listening on your laptop or on your PC, you're welcome to listen, but it doesn't really work from an interactive point of view. You have to be listening on your phone. In the bottom left hand of your corner, there will be a microphone icon. And if you tap that and request access, if you've got something reasonable to say, something to add to the conversation, then we will be glad to let you in. My name's Adrian Goldberg. You're listening to Byline Radio. If you don't know what that is, well, Byline Radio comes from the Byline Times. You can check out the Byline Times online at bylinetimes.com and hopefully take out a subscription. That funds everything we do. Go to bylinetimes.com to find out more. But essentially, we are a progressive, independent news organisation based in the UK, but with a global outlook 
independent of any party political bias, independent of any corporate interest. We report without fear or favour. So please spread the word. You may be listening to this live on Byline Radio. If so, welcome. Or you may be listening on Catch Up Again at Byline Times Podcast. If you are listening on the podcast and you want to get in touch with me, you can always drop me an email to goldbergradio at gmail.com. I want to welcome into the conversation now Malahat Mohammadzai. She's a recent arrival in the UK from Afghanistan. Uh, Malahat, hello. How are you doing? Hello, uh, this is Malahat Mohammadzai. I'm really sorry for entrapping my... Oh, hello, Malahat. You need to go somewhere where you've got decent... uh, You've got better reception, if you possibly can. You're you're a little bit in and out to us at the moment. Yeah, internet for the previous time. I couldn't talk. Uh, Thank you so much. Oh, I'm afraid we don't seem to be able to keep Malahat on a decent line. Malahat, if you can find somewhere that's got uh, better reception for your phone, that would be uh, that would be wonderful. I'd love to come back to Malahat's story. I spoke to her a little before we came on air, and as I say, she's recently arrived from Afghanistan, where she works in worked in women's rights. Uh, she's just launched, uh, got her new Twitter handle because she deleted all of her social medias while she was in Kabul. Uh, out of fear for the incoming Taliban, decided it would be safer for her to get out of the country uh, before the Taliban arrived. Let's see if we can connect one more time with Malahat. Hello, Malahat. How are you doing? No, not too much joy. There. Hello? A little bit. Oh, yeah, you're there. I was just yeah. thinking, is, is your reception a little bit better there, Malahat? <laughs> yes. I, can you hear me now? Loud and clear. And I mentioned, Malahat, you were working for a women's rights organisation yes, yeah. in Kabul. Tell us a little bit about that. What work were you doing? I was a gender specialist in Afghanistan in the Halo Trust, my clearance organisation. Newly, I came in Afghanistan. Oh, I don't think it's going to work, sadly, with Malahat, because I think the uh, the reception where she is just isn't good it's enough, I'm afraid. Malahat, we'll give it one more try, Malahat. We'll give it one more try, because your reception isn't great where you are. So you're working for a, a, a human rights organisation, but with a special responsibility on your part to encourage women's rights. Uh, yes, it was uh, Hello Trust. As uh, I was working as a gender specialist in Afghanistan, and when the Taliban returned to power, how was it for you? The day when they entered the Kabul. Uh... Oh, I'm really sorry. Uh, I'm really sorry, Malahat. We're going to have to leave it there. The, the reception is just so unreliable. Tamara is joining in the conversation. Hello, Tamara. Welcome. Hello. How are you? Hi, you're welcome. I'm so sorry that we've lost Malahat. because you know, was... such a shame. It would have been so nice to hear um, her story. Um, I was just um, thinking about um, what a shame it is that we are here. We're just having, a, well, over in the States, the first African-American woman to be um, hopefully confirmed for the Supreme Court. Um, so it feels like in, in some ways we keep on progressing and in other ways we go really far backwards. And I think it is, unfortunately, the right wing um, especially in the States, but definitely here as well, has gone so extreme. I mean, when all that terrible, terrible stuff was happening in, happening in Kabul, you know, you had some right-wing um, religious people praising the Taliban for what they, I don't know, I guess because they are hard on LGBT, LGBTQ people, they are hard on women, and the extreme right seemed to like that element 
of control to go so far as to almost have um, vigilante justice when it comes to women getting abortions, which is what they've done, um, is extremely dangerous and completely against, I would imagine, what the US normally stands for. Um, so I think um, I think it's extremely sad that we're going down this road, but I think we are also progressing as well. Uh, Tamara, what I'm interested in, and one of the reasons why I think it's worth discussing all of these three things together, and I'd welcome Sean's comments on this, is that although we talk about the right wing and particularly the United States, it is the right wing, I suppose, that is behind the attempt to overturn Roe versus Wade. There's actually quite a coalition of groups in the US. Well, I think who, you who, also who have, that? Um, you have uh, something called, uh, and I'm sure Sean knows a lot more about this than I do, the Prayer Breakfast. Um, which has got a lot of money and a lot of in influential people. And over there, that isn't just the right wing that goes. It's not just Republicans that go. Um, Obama, for instance, went. Um, you know, you have Democrats that go as well um, and not really realising what these people are, are doing. And they are um, literally um, planning around the world how to... Um, get rid of LGB, LGBTQ rights and women's rights. Yeah, um, sorry, the point I was going to make, though, Tamara, is that, and you're right about that, I mean, there are there are many Democrats who would, by United States standards anyway, be considered left-wing who are opposed to abortion. I think I read about a, a, a stat saying a, a third of Democrats would support the overturning of Roe versus Wade, although we'll always have to view these statistics with a degree mm. of caution. But then we have... The Taliban, now, the Taliban don't fit into any Western conventional narrative of right versus left. I mean, they are religious totalitarians, aren't they? So what intrigues me is that these moves to suppress women's rights are almost, regardless of country, regardless of culture, there are men, in particular men, across cultures and across countries who want to stop women having the freedom to do with their own bodies as they wish, not only women as well, uh, sexual minorities, if you want, for want of a better word, but particularly women. I just I mean, That just seems yeah, and, something and worthy the of the investigation with, to me. The same with trans women. Um, the attack on trans people, as a, you know, as a whole, at the moment is incredible. It's it's um, it's that I know um, trans people at the moment in this country are very scared, um, and I think the um, it's so is all women across across the spectrum of what a woman is that they are attacking. Sean. Yes, I mean, I think perhaps it's part of the issue is that we, we almost need to get rid of the categories of left versus right in these kind of situations. Because, as you say, um, you know, in the sort of Western political framing, we know what we mean with West um, with left versus right. And it kind of comes from the French Revolution times where everybody would decide which side of the room they were going to sit in if they were a monarchist or a revolutionary. And um, what I, the more and more I'm thinking about these issues is this kind of difference between those who want to reverse progress and those who believe in progress. So if you look at the Taliban, this is a movement that wants to take to, to undo history, to take society back to a, a time before the kind of enlightenment, before 
before ideas of human rights, of universal values, of, of women and LGBT equality. They want to reverse history. This is exactly the same thing that we're seeing with Putin in Russia. He wants to you know, rebuild the imperialist past to take society back to a point where the, the sort of universal values of human rights are trashed and don't exist. And it's exactly what we're seeing in terms of the, the far right in both America and the US and Europe. They don't believe in a kind of progressive society. They don't believe in values of human rights and fairness and freedoms. They want to reverse history and take us back to this other place. And so I think I'm kind of increasingly moving towards this framing of those who want what we call the sort of the, the fascistic notion of a natural order versus those who believe in progress, those who want to reverse history and those who want to push things forward. And I it's, completely... an, it's an ironic element of the United States debate on Roe versus Wade because uh, the, the right to liberty, life, freedom and so on is enshrined in the US Constitution. But liberty is precisely what is under attack in the attempts to reverse Roe versus Wade. Well, this is what does my head in. It's like, it's such a hypocrisy. And this is what I'm always saying. It's like, when you are saying that you are a, a nation in favour of freedom, a nation, a nation in favour of freedom of speech, the freedom of speech to ask for an abortion, the freedom of speech to say, this is my body and I have control over it and I have autonomy. And I think we see the same thing with some of these conservative MPs who are aligning with some of these US organisations that are anti-abortion. They will always go on about freedom of speech. They will always go on about these, these values of liberty and justice but liberty and justice for who because if you're stripping away the rights of half the population then you don't care about liberty and justice for everyone you just care about liberty and justice for some and i have always kind of banged on about this issue you know we want the freedom when these organizations will always say oh we're here for freedom you know we're alliance defending freedom it's in our name for goodness sake and yet they want to deny the freedom of lgbti IQ people to love who they love, to have sex with who they want to have sex with, to identify as they wish. They want to deny the freedom of women to, to have control over our own bodies. And so, yeah, it's a very specific and very limiting idea of freedom. And it's again, it's why I feel very strongly that some UK politicians really need to think about who they're going to talk to and who they're aligning with. You know, another example is ADF ADF was um, quoted in a government white paper on freedom of speech. And this is an organisation that wants to deny LGBTIQ and women, people and women the freedom of speech to ask for control over our own bodies. So there's a real hypocrisy at play. Tomorrow, I'll bring you back in a minute and I'll get Saeed, who's joined us as well, uh, to make a comment. But I suppose, Sean, just to kind of examine, certainly from a Western perspective, where this is coming from. And you don't want to put too pressure, too much pressure or weight on one comment made by one politician. But I thought it was so revealing that this week that an Indiana Indiana Republican Senator Mike Braun, when the question of Roe versus Wade, which was law essentially made in the courts, made in the Supreme Court of the United States, was raised. And he was he was quizzed about other laws that were made in the Supreme Court laws, for example, which overturned the ban on interracial marriage. He said that is a law that should be left to the states, to the individual states, so that across the United States as a whole, we should not be able to take it for granted that people of different, in inverted commas, races 
should not be able to should be able to marry that that's something the state should decide it, it, it's mind-boggling that in 2022 there are still people with this mindset but maybe he was just revealing the very hard structure that lies beneath these topical debates well, I think it's what we call saying the quiet part out loud, isn't it? <laughs> like, you know, it's like talk about giving your your cards away. I mean, there's this really brilliant quote that I always go back to by this guy called Dr. Willie Parker, who's an abortion doctor in the States. And he said that what a lot of white America, white, you know, white supremacist Americans don't want people to realise in their objection of abortion is that they are pushing back against the browning of America. And I think, you know, this is this real thing about like, there's a real sort of white supremacist drive in the anti-abortion movement because they see sort of migration and black and minority ethnic people as kind of taking over the states. There was another Republican congressman called Steve King who talked about, you know, the, the white population being replaced in America because of all these abortions and because of migration. So the fact that this other, this Steve Braun guy said this is really indicative of that kind of real white supremacist fear that they want to kind of target both abortion, but also these these laws around interracial marriage, you know, to kind of push back against, as I say, the browning of America, which is Parker's framing. I mean, it's really, really disturbing. And I, I do think we need to be very, very aware of, of just how radicalised and extreme some elements of the Republican Party have become since the sort of ascent of Trump. You know, the fact that they can even stand up and say that they believe that interracial, there could there could they could open the door to banning interracial marriage in 2022 is really really scary and it's definitely linked to the sort of white supremacist anti-abortion drive that we're seeing. Well, well, I, I should also tell you, in the same interview, Senator Braun was asked about the Supreme Court ruling in 1956 that allowed married couples to use contraceptives. Oh my God! <laughs> he said, "He said you can list a whole list, a whole host of issues when it comes down to wherever they are. I am going to say they are not going to all make you happy within a given state, but they're better off having states manifest their point of view rather than homogenising across the country versus uh, as Roe versus Wade did." Do you know in what other- I- in other words, individual states should be left to decide whether married couples could be issued contraception. I mean, this is my favourite. I always say the right wants a state small enough to fit in a woman's womb or in someone's bedroom. Do you know what I mean? They're always like, oh, no, we want a small state. We want a small state. But when it comes to sex, they want to be right in there. They want to control everything. And Let's bring yeah. in Saeed. Hello, Saeed. Welcome to Byline Radio. It's good to have you with us. Thank you for joining in. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, where where just, are you, Said? By the way, where are you joining us from? Uh, yeah, I'm joining you from Scotland, Edinburgh. Uh, yeah. I newly arrived to the UK just about two months from oh, Afghanistan. Where, where, where from, Said? From Afghanistan. Oh, okay, brilliant. Welcome. Great to have you on Byline Radio. Thanks for joining in. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I must say, uh, I think Malahat had got some issue with the connection problem. Uh, she's my partner. So I have a few words about the woman. She's what? Right? She's your she's your partner. Yeah, she's my partner. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, well, Mal- I know Malahat's uh, still listening, so uh, <laughs> you can say hi to her in a very uh, yeah. cheesy British radio kind of way, if you want. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just I just want to uh, put a few words on uh, on a woman's right that uh, yeah, everyone is talking about that. So, but uh, as you know, that was the situation going back there in Afghanistan for the women's. 
So um, uh, newly, I just uh, I have connections. I have talking with my family back there in Afghanistan, and there's totally a band uh, which uh, applied for the women's, uh, for the working, for the education. Uh, I'm I'm really I'm really feeling very bad about this that that this century that um, everyone have uh, equal right, but the women in Afghanistan uh, lost their rights to living. At least it's a really a, a very a critical situation back there in Afghanistan, and I'm 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 really I'm really confused about the uh, uh, word that why they are so quiet about the situation back there in Afghanistan. I mean, well, I mean there are there are other issues in Afghanistan, Said, and we'll, we may talk about those on a future issue. Not least the human rights situation there, the the general human rights situation there. Of course, this is a human rights issue, but the lack of food, for example, and the fact that the West's refusal to acknowledge the existence or officially recognise the Taliban government may be contributing to starvation in Afghanistan. But can you remember a time before the Taliban then when women had, if not equal rights with men, were certainly free to go to school and to take place, take their place in government and so on? I mean, that's a very recent time, isn't it? So uh, this is what I was, I was trying to say that the West and the, the world community uh, did a lot of work on uh, on Afghanistan education system, and uh, I know there's starvation going on there, a lot of issues going on. But the whole thing that we achieved in 20 years, uh, it's it's gone. It's gone just in a couple of months. Uh, but while before before the Taliban, everything was going perfectly. Uh, women has a right to study, working in in, in uh, government, have their full right in every, on everything, same equal as a man. But for now, uh, a part of all the problems that we have in Afghanistan, security problems, uh, the uh, massive starvation problems, economical problems. Uh, but for now, the challenging part that come now, they are giving new rules. Uh, for a woman, so uh, according to their promises that the Taliban made for and uh, in, in media, I, I, mean, I think they are they are saying the same. They are not doing the same thing that they are promising in media. And, no, and- well, they they had promised, hadn't they? And this is the development in the last few days. They had promised that girls who do get primary education would be allowed to attend secondary school. And it appears that there are some deep divisions within the Taliban. And a couple of days ago, it was announced that girls would not be allowed to attend secondary school. The difficult thing for the West side is, is that the West, over many decades, has been involved in Afghanistan. That ended in defeat, military defeat for the West, a humiliating withdrawal from Afghanistan just a few months ago. And there are, I'm sure you're aware now that you live in Edinburgh, many people in the West who say, look, we cannot sort out the problems of the world. It's very unfortunate, but we, we as the West, in its broadest sense, cannot solve the problems of Afghanistan. That has to be left to Afghan people themselves. But um, uh, technically, if you're talking about the, the problems in Afghanistan, the West involved in that problem. Uh, 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 correct me if I'm wrong. They, they they came to solve that problem, right? They spent a lot of money. They spent humans there. The, the soldiers died from Afghanistan from the West. But I, I I'm not I'm not 
sure that that's what that was the right time to leave the Afghanistan that situation to waste every effort that everyone had it. Uh, my colleagues from everywhere, my, like like they they put their force in twenty years on Afghanistan from the West people, and they expend money, people, uh, but they left everything uh, for nothing. Can you see that every effort that they made in twenty years and every progress, which is every everything gone? No, doesn't well, yeah, value. absolutely. And, you know, it, it, it's heartbreaking to think that you've had to leave your home country, not by choice, which is a reasonable thing to do, but because you feel that you've had to. And that Malahat, your partner, has also had to leave Afghanistan because she was working in women's rights and thought it was unsafe even to keep her her old social media profiles going. She told me that a little bit earlier on. But I think it, it is it, unquestionably a defeat for a particular kind of Western foreign policy. but and, and it is a defeat. And ultimately, the victims are, as well as the the British and American and other troops who died, the the other victims are, are the people of Afghanistan who are, who are left to a Taliban government. As Malahat said, that she was working with for an organization in Afghanistan, which which was particularly working for the women's rights as well in the, in, in the region. And as I said, uh, our international colleagues uh, who came to Afghanistan, who put their efforts together to build up Afghanistan with uh, with with a lot of uh, uh, rights, but at leaving Afghanistan, that situation was not a, a, a right decision on that time. But for now, for now, when the Taliban captured the Afghanistan, they had promises that we are going to. Um, make the law that that have the rights for everyone, and they said that we are not gonna um, kill any 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 person who worked for the previous government. These was the promises made by the Taliban when they captured Afghanistan after a month or two months. But for now, none of those promises come together. None of those promises come to in reality. Uh, but still, still, I I I I didn't see any reaction from the West. Nothing. Well, listen, uh, Saeed, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining in. I think it'd be wrong to let a, a man take up too much time on a programme where we're talking about the assault on women's rights. But his partner, as he said, Malahat, is unable to join us because of uh, reception problems. Try, though, she has. Let's see if Malahat can join us now. Maybe she's uh, gone for a walk and got a slightly better reception <laughs> where, where she is. Let's, uh, let's hope she can join us. Just to say, by the way, if you are listening live on Byline Radio, in the bottom left-hand of your screen there will be a little microphone and if you want to join in well please do you can join in we let you onto the airwaves as it were uh, if you are if you're someone who's listening live via byline radio obviously if you're listening via the byline times podcast on catch up then unfortunately uh, you can't listen again. Uh, you can't join in, rather. You can listen again, but you can't join in. And just to remind you that we, we are brought to you through the Byline Times. Do take out a subscription, if you can, to the Byline Times. Go to bylinetimes.com for more information. That's bylinetimes.com. Uh, Malahat is back with us. Let's see if we can get Malahat back on now. Hello, Malahat. How are you doing? Malahat, go on. Go ahead. I'll tell you what, Sean, it's, I think it's it's destined never to happen today. I think Malahat, she's still it? a listener, so if she requests a microphone, that might... Oh, no, she has done. I just, I just, gave, <laughs> just gave her permission to speak. But uh, when I invited her to speak, nothing happened. 
Is that Malahat? It says you're a speaker there, but we can't hear you. See what I mean, Sean? It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen today. Uh, Sean, I, I don't want to get sidetracked, even though it's a very important debate about what the West could or might do in relation to Afghanistan. But in terms of this debate, I mean, it's a, it's a tragic situation, is it? The Taliban say, in order to no doubt get some kind of international recognition, that, that they will allow women to go to school. We found out this week that a number of Taliban leaders are actually sending their secondary age daughters abroad to school. They won't allow the the secondary age school girls in their own country to go to school, but some of them will send their daughters abroad. What hypocrisy. Well, it's classic, isn't it? There's always a way if you're in charge or if you're a leader or if you have money to go against the rules that you make. I mean... Not, you know, this also goes back to any kind of restrictions on abortion laws. You know, if you have wealth, if you have power, you're always able to access abortion. It's the poorer people, it's the women living in deprived communities, it's marginalised women who will be worst affected. But yeah, I just think it's absolutely, I don't know, heartbreaking, enraging, just frightening what has happened. And as you know, Adrian, like we reported a lot on the um, Taliban takeover back in August and we've followed up a lot since. You know, we've interviewed women's rights activists who are still in Kabul. We've interviewed uh, family members of um, people who are in the UK and still have family members in Afghanistan. Um, we've interviewed uh, translators and interpreters who are stuck in, in Afghanistan despite the government in, in the UK promising that they would be able to come here. I mean, it's a very, very scary humanitarian situation. And I just feel that you, there's no one who could have seen those pictures of girls crying as they were turned away from school and not felt it, you know, deep within them. Like we, it's, it, and it's, it's such a, a huge issue, girls' education. We know that when girls are denied an education, they're more likely to um, be married early. So they're more likely to fall victim to child marriage, which means a lifetime sort of cycle of early pregnancy, of gender-based violence. Um, you know, if you don't go to school, you're, you're less likely to have economic independence later on in life. It creates this real kind of cycle of inequality, cycle of poverty and cycle of oppression. And, and that's why, like why girls' education is so important, why so many NGOs have been fighting for it for so long and why so, it was so great that progress was made. I do feel that there is some hope in the voices of, of women like Malahad um, and Saeed um, and also in the kind of protests that we've continued to see um, from women in Afghanistan. You know, this doesn't, this this has not been met with with acceptance. This has been met with anger and this has been met with resistance. And I do where there is a sort of small spark of hope is in that resistance. But I do think as a, a feminist movement, as a humanitarian movement, or even just as a global community, we all need to be standing with the girls and women in Afghanistan and also those other people facing persecution. And there was an interesting um, press release from Joint Council for Welfare of Immigrants this week about the um, impact on climate activists in Afghanistan. So, um, people who've been campaigning for climate justice are now facing persecution from Taliban. So 
there's a lot to be concerned about. No, really, I, I did miss up. that. But I remember when I interviewed Andrew Mitchell, the Birmingham Sutton Coalfield MP, uh, a few months ago for the Byline Times podcast, and he was talking about the cuts to international development funds because Boris Johnson had promised him personally, in return for his support in the leadership election, that he would maintain the commitment for 0.7% of UK GDP to continue to be spent on overseas aid. Johnson has now reneged on that. The amount has been cut to 0.5%, which at a time when our GDP was declining because of COVID, not only means a percentage cut, obviously it means a percentage cut, but it also means a cut in real terms because our economy declined. And uh, Andrew Mitchell, who believes very passionately in helping the poorest and neediest people in the in those parts of the world where Britain really can make a difference with uh, overseas aid. He was making exactly this point, Sean, that it will it will impact on education. If you chip away at girls' education, then those girls are more likely to be economically reliant on men. They are less likely to be well-educated, less likely to be receptive to messages around contraception, birth control. You know, nobody's saying they won't have children. It's just they can choose if they're better educated or more better equipped to choose if they're better educated when to have children. They can maybe then have children after they've worked for a bit and built a kind of economic reserve that will help them through those early child rearing years, even in traditional communities where they might not be expected to work while they're, while they're rearing young kids. So, I mean, these things do have a, a, a real and interconnected impact on really desperate people. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it's shameful. We've reneged on our responsibilities. I mean, first of all, that was a manifesto commitment to keep the 0.7% GDP for international aid. So they broke their manifesto commitments, which is generally pretty frowned upon. But also, you know, like one of the big things that this government always goes on about and has gone on about since Brexit is that they want to be global Britain. They want to be the big boys in the room. They want to stand up and lead the world and have sort of Britannia, rule Britannia 2.0. And at the same time, they're making their standing smaller. They're withdrawing support from the international scene. They're, they're becoming less and less influential. Now, of course, we could have like a big debate about aid and, you know, how it's used, whether it's targeted correctly. There's, there's lots of questions to be asked about aid. But fundamentally, you know, they broke the manifesto commitment and this is going to have a huge impact on the lives of, of, of people around the world. I mean, MSI Reproductive Choices said that the cuts um, to reproductive and sexual health as a result of the um, international aid slashing is going to have a worse impact than the global gag rule did under Trump. And the global gag rule under Trump led to 1.8 million unsafe abortions and 20,000 additional maternal deaths. So do we, you know, is that going to be our reputation? Is that going to be Britain's legacy of this Conservative Party around the world, that we're going to have a worse reputation on reproductive and sexual health than Donald Trump? I'm afraid that the uh, the Handmaid's Tale episodes of uh, Byline Radio uh, are not going to go away anytime soon. Not uh, while I'm around, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a really fascinating debate, the global war on women, sadly. Could I just make one more point, Adrian? Go on. Sorry. 
Yeah, so one of the other aspects of the story that Sam and I did this week about yeah. um, anti-abortion links is that in the coming coming weeks, potentially as early as next week, there's going to be a vote in the House of Commons about whether to con- to make telemedicine abortion available permanently. Um, so at the moment, in March 2020, to ease pressure off the NHS, the government passed a rule that allowed for women to order abortion pills or to to get abortion pills from their GP over the phone and then delivered to their home. And what this, you know, the abortion law is still the same, like you still have to have permission um, from two GPs, but rather than have to go to a GP's office or a sexual health clinic to take the pills in the room, you could have, you could talk to someone on the phone and the pills would be delivered to you and you could take the pills in your own home. Now, this has been like very much praised, very much welcomed by reproductive health um, organisations across the you know, across the UK, like BPAS is in favour of this, MSI Reproductive Choices. You know, it was a real kind of big move in order to improve abortion access in the UK. But now it looks like the government are going to cancel it in August unless they have this vote next week, unless they this vote next week allows for it to be continued. And I think it's really important that we, we raise this issue because, you know, there's a very much um, a feeling in the UK that abortion rights are kind of stable, that there's not going to be any rolling back of abortion anytime soon. And and that is very true. You know, we're a very pro-choice country. There's, um, you know, there's not really a, a desire to rock the boat on abortion. But if this vote falls and the government does cancel telemedicine abortion in August, that is going to be a major rolling back of abortion access at a time when we thought we were moving forward. So it, you know, we can look at America, we can look at countries around the world, but we also need to look in our own backyard about our own attitudes towards making sure women and girls have access to reproductive health care. One to watch, Sean. Thank you very much indeed. That's Sean Norris. Uh, Sean is the Byline Times Chief Social and European Affairs Reporter. Read more from her at bylinetimes.com, including that article, about, uh, article even, uh, about the Conservative backbencher with links to that very uh, questionable United States religious institution uh, and also this restriction, potential restriction anyway, on abortion uh, pills for t- uh, being prescribed via telemedicine. Thanks very much indeed for listening. If you've been listening live on Byline Radio or if you're listening on Catch Up via the Byline Times podcast. Thank you very much indeed as well to Harvey White, who helps me out so much with the uh, production duties on these broadcasts. Really appreciate his help as well. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll be back again on Monday at our new time of 1pm. Hope you can join us then. Thank you. Bye. Bye.